The Start On Demand. On demand. We spent a lot of time this morning talking about roads in Manitoba because once again, highways in southern Manitoba were a mess on Tuesday thanks to that blowing snow. We had one incident on McGilvery involving roughly 20 vehicles and then on a stretch of the Trans-Canada Highway west of Winnipeg, there were 50 to 100 vehicles involved in a number of incidents. So that got us talking about highway conditions and... CAA Manitoba has launched its annual Worst Roads campaign. Also on the agenda, gas prices. Where do we go from here and who's to blame? 22 offers and still no house. A realtor weighs in on Manitoba's red-hot housing market. And we had lots of fun today talking about the things you were shocked to learn were a thing. I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. This is the Wednesday, March 9th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Uh, Yesterday, Greg, we had, uh, as we've been hearing in Global News, Jeff just had extensive coverage in his newscast, uh, serious chaos on highways, uh, around and Winnipeg and around southern Manitoba. I think when we got in yesterday morning with the wind and the forecasted snow, even though it was just a couple of centimeters, Loren and Brett, we were amongst ourselves wondering, oh boy, are we going to have a situation in terms of school cancellations, highway closures, etc. yesterday morning? Well, that didn't materialize, but it sure did in the afternoon. Major crash on McGilvery Boulevard closed that stretch of two-lane road essentially between the city and the perimeter for hours yesterday. D- uh, multiple crashes on Highway 1 out near St. Francis and Whitehorse and White- Whitehorse Plains, etc. And uh, the perimeter highway closed again. I, you know, went down for a brief nap. I got up uh, to... Uh, uh, absolutely uh, string of messages and email alerts and and alerts from our internal communication service and was just uh, like really this felt like it just happened out of nowhere and here we are again having conversations this morning about why are we seeing this again and again and is it unusual if you're heading out this morning, if you look around Winnipeg, the highways are open, but, you know, everything is listed as yellow if you go to the Manitoba 511 app. You know, partly ice covered, partly snow covered, partly ice and snow covered. We still have a bit of wind out there, certainly not as bad as yesterday. So your roads are open, but you might have to take it slow depending on what conditions are like and how much clearing has or has not been done. Uh, I don't want to go down this road again because I think I made you guys laugh the last time I said it. But shelter belts, people. Let's get some trees going out there on the side of the highway to block some of that wind. I don't know if it's windier. Like, you know, we talk about it being a snowier than normal winter, and it's it's not the coldest winter we've ever had, but it's more snow, some more snow to blow around. But there just seems to be all these days, Brett, where there's so much wind, where like you wake up and you think, God, like it would be a nice day if it weren't for all this wind. And yeah, I know it's Manitoba and I know we have these open plains and this is what we have to deal with, but I don't think we've ever seen the perimeter close this many times in a winter. I, I certainly don't recall the last time I had several t- times in a winter cl- exclaimed, 
man, that was a rough drive. One or two times per winter for sure. But I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm running out of fingers <laughs> for the number of drives I've had this year where I thought, oh, man, that was like white knuckled. And, and that includes last night just getting the kids 10 kilometers up the road for hockey. So, you know, it wasn't pleasant out there. I think we do have to have talks about how we clear our roads. Can we do better? And should we plant some more trees? There. That's my last sales pitch for that one. Yes, but. shelter belts. What do you think that would cost? Because I was actually thinking about that yesterday. The, the term, I forgot about the term shelter belt. That's a catchy, it's a snappy term. But what do you think it would cost to put up a shelter belt around the entire perimeter, Mackley? <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea. But if we want it uh, completed by 2075, we better get started now. Yeah, that's not a, that's not a short term. I, 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 it's so funny, uh, Brett. Greg, you called yesterday just when I was picking up the kids just to say, if you heard about all the crashes, just wanted to see. What's going on out there? I said, I don't know, Maclean, but I've already given the kids a lesson on shelter belts today. And I can't, <laughs> I can't keep talking about it. Like, but I said, if we do that, we're going to have to start planting now. Like, we could get a planting campaign going. You know, <laughs> it makes a difference. And sure, it can also still cause drifts. It's not like it's the only answer. No. But how many times have you been on a road where you kind of have that brief reprieve, and it's because there's a farm that you're passing that has its own. Uh, kind of perimeter of trees, if you will, or you pass a building that blocks the wind. I mean, it makes sense. It also prevents the soil, soil from er- eroding. There's a whole conservation thing you, I could go down if you guys want. But, well, well, I want to. I want to speak in uh, in Brett's parlance. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Golf. Would you? You know, if you're golfing out in the middle of a farmer's field, like the back nine at Minnedosa, for as beautiful as it is, it is very exposed. Versus the front nine or the old nine down in the valley in the trees, it's a completely different game. Yeah, I don't. I'm. I'm kind of. I've become a fair weather golfer in years past. I would golf in anything, and I've come to realize. Yeah, you know what? I'm. I just sort of prefer a sunny, calm day. But yeah, when you play golf in a wide open area and it there's any wind even if it's 30 kilometers an hour it can be very very unpleasant particularly in the earlier times of the year or later times of the year because you just freeze so that's one example where recreation can be uh, a havoc situation but then on the roads yesterday like yes we I bumped into one of our sales colleagues who had come to work she had taken the perimeter and she was visibly shaken i said what's up and she says oh, i just watched my life pass in front of my eyes because she lost control on the perimeter almost went off the road she was able to pull it together but she was really shaken up and she says i don't usually take the perimeter and that kind of got me thinking that i i flat out avoid i mean i don't really have a need to use the perimeter but that's a road that i never take in the winter and seeing what we're seeing this year loren uh i don't think my fear is necessarily unfounded. No, and I think we we used to talk about that in the summer, Brett, about how there are sections of that perimeter that we avoid just because of the way people drive or the condition of the road or the stop starts with all the lights. And now you throw in a winter like the one we've had, and you're right. It makes it a road and it, that you want to avoid. And that's not the whole, the whole point of building it was to get people around the city quickly and not to have them not want to go on it. You don't want people to be using different roads as thoroughfares so we'll continue this chat at 6 37 brett and uh golf is not nigh the way this winter is going <laughs> golf is not nigh <laughs> it'll be may i bet you before we even <laughs> see the green manitobans continue to watch those prices at the pump be driven up but where does all that money on our gas bill go global's kevin hirschfield has a look 
Turns out taxes play a significant role. According to the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Canadians are paying more than 41 cents per liter in gas taxes. That means today, without government levies, you'd be paying a buck 32 per liter instead of a dollar 74. Now, 14 cents of that is provincial excise tax, 10 cents federal excise tax, 8 cents is carbon tax, and more than eight cents to federal sales tax. So how much is that at the pumps? Well, if you fill up your 2020 Honda Civic, for example, from empty, that would be roughly $20 you're dishing out to gas tax. If you drive a 2020 Dodge Ram, that's upwards of 50 bucks going to fuel taxes on a full tank. And things are gonna get even more expensive come April 1st when the federal government increases the carbon tax, and that will result in 11 cents of your gas bill now going to the carbon tax. So the Canadian Taxpayers Federation says instead of another increase, we need some relief, like what's being offered in other countries. South Korea recently cut its gas tax by 20%. India also cut its gas tax. So did Poland. Um, and even the U.S. administration, President Biden, said he's considering some gas tax relief down south. So other countries are reducing their tax bill while Ottawa continues to raise our tax bill. Now one province is taking action, that's Alberta, where Premier Jason Kenney announcing Monday the province will stop collecting the Alberta fuel tax. That means the price at the pump there will drop by 13 cents per litre. Now we've reached out to the province of Manitoba to see if there is a similar move coming here. A spokesperson tells us, quote, the government is doing work on the 2022 budget and we look forward to sharing those details in the coming weeks and months. That translates into, we don't want to talk about it. That's the def- what the government's <laughs> response was there. We're not talking about it. Don't look over here. I mean, there might be some relief in other ways, but I don't think that we're going to see that move in Manitoba anytime soon. You can't expect the federal government, I don't think, to cut taxes anytime soon. I mean, I wouldn't hold my breath given the push from the Trudeau government to have us look to renewable energy and cutting carbon t- or keeping the carbon tax and all the rest. In the meantime, Greg, in addition to fuel prices, I think we're going to have to watch for a whole host of other things come down the chain when it comes to rising costs. Like, obviously, all our goods come in on vehicles that use gasoline. So anything that comes in by a truck, you might see the trickle-down effect on the cost of your food coming soon. And, and we were sharing yesterday that the fact that Ukraine, with everything going on in Ukraine right now with the invasion there, the, the production of wheat and everything else will take a big hit. So food, man, food is no question going to skyrocket. So if we think we're feeling pain now, I just, I don't know where this, I don't see the end for this anytime soon. It, it's it's really opening our eyes, I think, to just how delicate, how fragile uh, our food distribution growing uh, systems are. Uh, and like you said, uh, if we haven't noticed it yet, we will notice it in all likelihood over the next several months. And just how fragile our economy is as it pertains to fuel prices, because this is opening a huge conversation now about uh, the choices that we make, our lifestyle. Uh, maybe not for everyone, but I know for a lot of people, they're questioning certain decisions uh, that they're making or will make in the future. And look, here we are uh, in a matter of, what, two weeks? Uh, things have turned upside down. So we'll, we'll talk about gas prices and, and who is genuinely to blame for this. Hey, this is encouraging from Don. First sign of spring. Don says, saw the first Canada goose a minute ago. It's in Louisville, Kentucky, but I'll take it. <laughs> Don's on the road this morning. Oh. Don! <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a while. Uh, in our next segment, we're going to tell you how you can win stuff. We have 
Tickets up for grabs for David Spade, Club Region Event Center, June 26th. And we've also got uh, Cottage Country's Lake and Cabin Show tickets up for grabs. So we'll tell you how you can get your hands on some of those. Uh, pre-sale, by the way, today for David Spade. Tickets go on sale tomorrow, but the pre-sale is today, and the password is Tommy. That is through Ticketmaster. May not have looked like it inside Winnipeg yesterday, but on the highways... Wow, different story thanks to that blowing snow. Road conditions quickly deteriorated yesterday afternoon, leading to multiple collisions on several highways. Global's Brittany Greenslade was at the site of a major crash near McGilvery and McCreary. And when you hear this audio, you, it's a demonstration of just how windy it was out there. The conditions are not great out here right now. These winds have been whipping all day long. And the longest stretch is really wide open roadways and fields. And it's been whipping through here, causing blizzard-like conditions, blowing snow, and near whiteout conditions. Sometimes visibility was at zero, which has led to many crashes along McGilvery Boulevard. And a new qualifier near impossible broadcasting conditions for Brittany Greenslade. <laughs> the road was blocked off for several hours. RCMP and Winnipeg police were called to McGilvery between McCreary and the perimeter around noon. Constable Rob Carver told Global News the call was to a 20-vehicle crash. Multiple people were trapped, resulting in a huge police and emergency response to the area. It took hours for tow trucks to clear the debris and tangled cars from the road. RCMP say many went off the road into the ditch to avoid the pileup. In fact, it was so bad, Loren, the situation led to Share Health issuing a code orange at HSC to create capacity in case of mass trauma or mass casualties. That was lifted around 4.30 yesterday afternoon. In fact, uh, eventually three people were taken to hospital as a result of that crash, one with serious injuries. And that code orange might have also been in response to not just the crash that you're referencing between McGillivray and McCreary uh, and, and the perimeter around noon, but there was 50 to 100 cars involved in several incidents along Highway 1 between St. Francis Xavier and Eli. No serious injuries there, but when you start to get those reports as police of all these crashes, you have to put these contingency plans in place. And so there were several highways that were closed in the late afternoon or early evening. The perimeter was, of course, closed, as we know, but Highway 59 was closed around 7 o'clock last night um, from Winnipeg to the U.S. border. Highway 3 also closed from Oak Bluff to Brunkfield, and Highway 16 was closed near Minnedosa. And so, yeah, we, we, we often see highway closures in the winter, it feels like it's a lot this year. And I know there's not anything snow clearing crews can do about whiteout conditions. If the wind's going to blow, the wind's going to blow. But there are several times that I personally have been out on the road, and I know others have too, where the drifts are really bad. And so you have the whiteout conditions. Then you're trying to avoid these drifts that build up on the road and you're moving around them or through them if you have no other option and that's where it also gets additionally scary and that's where the questions come can something else be done can more be done can do we need to be spending more money or looking at this differently and i think the question when we get through this winter is to look back on it and and add up all these events and say well we don't want to go through this again it's not just about being a pain or being a bit scary or being concerning or, or maybe impacting your commute these are life and death matters the way we use the perimeter has changed dramatically over the last 30 or 40 years versus when I was a kid. It was genuinely a bypass. You had to kind of think, did it make sense to drive all the way out to the perimeter to go around the city? Now the perimeter is really landlocked in terms of growth and development and where people live in the greater Winnipeg area. It's part of the road system for Winnipeg and 
it wasn't necessarily designed for that. Monitoring of the highway and accurate road conditions so people can make a genuine decision about whether to use the perimeter or not, I think is a big deal. Ice clearing, snow clearing, uh, those also factor. And our uh, listener Sandy says, uh, I was on McGilvery yesterday, the big snow banks. When the wind comes up over those snow banks... It creates whiteout conditions at a higher level, more at your eye level, where it might just be going across the road and in other circumstances. So lots of things, I think, to contemplate here, Brett. Have you ever been shocked to learn that something is a thing? Yesterday, Greg shares a tweet with us saying 28 years, and it was pointing out that 28 years to the day yesterday, this song came out. Yeah! Used to wake up to this song every day, have my CD, my Sony CD player set to, to wake me up to this song. Fantastic Voyage by Coolio and Loren McNabb. What was your reaction? I had no idea what this song was. And I listened to it, like, deep into it, and then rewound it. Listened to rewound. I shuttled back and listened to it again. I was like, nope, I got nothing. And then I even put it on the laptop and cranked up the sound and yelled out to my husband in his office, do you know this song? And it was like two seconds into it, he goes, it's Coolio. <laughs> and I was like, well, clearly, I was not cool. Because I had no clue what this was. But I did get a kick out of picturing you waking up in the morning to this tune and putting on, like, some sort of 1990s outfit and your hat on sideways and maybe some, like, spraying some cologne on and being like, I'm going to just rock this day, man. Here goes Brett McGarry. But, no, I had nothing. I did not know this was a thing. (laughs) Mackling's grooving in the other studio here. You can see him on the monitor. So text us at 204-780-6868. A thing that surprised you that it was a thing. So let's go around the horn here. Jeff Braun, let's start with you, sir. I'm with Loren on this one. I've never heard this song before in my entire life until right now. you got to be kidding. Oh, maybe it's a rural thing. Maybe it didn't make it past the perimeter. (laughs) Me neither. I'm younger than you guys, but I've never heard it before either. I was going to say, is this an age thing? I don't don't know. You guys were about two years years old when that song came out. Like, I thought... Gangster's Paradise. I thought it was a one-hit wonder. That's the only thing of Coolio I've ever known about. And he's got his, uh, his crazy hair, and that's all. That's it. That's all there is to it. That's all. That's my Coolio knowledge right there. That's okay. But what about is for what has it something ever surprised you to learn that it was a thing? Whether it's a term, a song, a show, whatever. This this Coolio thing is just blowing my mind. It's like how come I've never heard of this song before? I don't know. Um, my, my girlfriend has teenagers, and they're constantly telling us things that the high school kids are into. And I was just like, really? That's the thing that some of that stuff kind of blows my mind. But yeah, it's bizarre. Like when the young people say things like "dece," that's "dece." Can't even say "decent." They gotta cut it down to "dece." Uh, pointers. What about you? Uh, well, I was watching this thing about like, I don't know what I was just on like a YouTube loop and I was watching this stuff about like these new fangled rappers. I didn't know any of them. <laughs> and, uh, I guess that's the symbol of being old. It's like, I, I don't know any of these new artists I'm looking at like, look, and then I went and looked at the billboard, like top 20. I don't know who any of these people are. Like, I mean, that's, that's it. I, I'm, I have to be old now. I'm completely out of the loop. But another thing that I, I've always noticed is like words. I've never heard a word before. Like there was a time in when I was going to my brief stint in university, I heard the word pseudo for the first time. 
And then for like the rest of that month, I heard the word pseudo like constantly. Another one is like much to my chagrin, like that term. Yeah. I like I heard somebody say that on the radio and I said, what the heck is that guy talking about? He's making himself. Oh, yeah. He wants to make himself sound so smart using big words and all that. Then I heard it constantly. Like I hear it all the time now. So I don't know. There always seems to be like when you hear a word for the first time, maybe it finally enters your brain and, and then you're like, okay, now I hear it. Hey, our boss, Heather, once uh, said to me, she she went her whole life thinking chagrin was spelled with an S-H, not a C-H. Okay. Until I, I put it on uh, our Instagram, and uh, she had to look it up. She thought I was, she was thought she'd caught me in a typo. So, anyway, ha-ha, Heather. Uh, Greg, what about you? Well, you know, growing up in Winnipeg, Slurpees were a part of my life, and so, you know, you drank Slurpees any time of the year, uh, winter, summer, fall, and... Uh, you know, when 7-Eleven finally came out and said Winnipeg is the slurpy capital of the world, it was like, wow, it's not my imagination. We really do dig these slurpees. It's a big part of our culture. But the other one that gets me is when you look at a vehicle or maybe you've bought a vehicle and you never noticed before, now everybody is driving the same car as you. How that yes. happens, how yep. that works. Yes. <laughs> I bought a Chevy Cruze a few years ago, and until the day I bought it, I'd never even heard the term Chevy Cruze, even though Brett had one and I'd been inside it before. But, uh, <laughs> after I got my Cruze on the way home from the dealership, I saw like six more, and I was like, oh, I guess these cars are pretty popular. I have that car. That's right. Loren drives a Cruze as well. I never remember that. Someone asked me the other day, what kind of car is this? I'm like, oh, it's, a, it's blue, it's a Chevy, it's a... What year? Ah, twenty. Every year, every year it's a Chevy. <laughs> well, in your defense, Loren, you've had many cars because you have many encounters okay. with deer. No, no, I already got that joke from my kid last night. I was like, "Oh boy, this is some bad road conditions." He's like, "Plus, there's deer always out here." I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, what's the thing for you, Loren, other than Coolio? Okay, well, I always find like you know because fashion trends always make a comeback. Like they're pretty cyclical. I didn't get it then, and I don't get it now. Stirrup pants are slowly making a comeback. I've seen them in some stores. They're the, like the tights that have the uh. elastic on the bottom that go under your feet. I don't know why we needed them. I don't know why we needed the stirrup. Like, I don't know why it's there. I don't know what it, it's adding to the life. I don't know why we ever needed shoulder pads. And I don't understand why dickies were a thing. Like, you couldn't wear a full shirt. You just had to put that. You know what I'm talking about? It was like a fake shirt that fake, would go under fake, your suit. The, the fake turtleneck. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, like, I just don't know why, why these things come up and why they come back. So I, I, I hope to never see them again, but they, they keep coming back into our lives. Rainbow so. suspenders. 204-780-6868. We have two prizes for you to pick from. David Spade tickets, June 26th, Club Region Event Center, or four-pack of tickets for Cottage Country's Lake and Cabin Show at Red River Exhibition Park that's coming up March 18th to the 20th. We're going to pick a winner at 9.15. A thing that surprised you. It was a thing. Text us at 204-780-6868 for your chance to win. Roads, we're getting lots of great feedback at 204-780-6868 because we have had a lot to complain about this winter when it comes to our roads. Just after 6.30, we were talking about the closure of the perimeter again. 
Yeah, it's been closed plenty of times this year, and there's snow and ice clearing issues to talk about when it comes to that. And then, of course, there's just the state of the roads, the condition they might be in. And every year we know CAA gives Manitobans a chance to have their say on the worst roads in this province. We're joined now by Heather Mack, the Manager for Government and Community Relations for CAA Manitoba. Good morning, Heather. Good morning. So we were just mentioning just the the issue with road closures and snow clearing and all the rest. And and that's one part of the equation. But at the end of the day, it really does come down to maintenance, whether it's snow clearing or fixing potholes and all the rest. It's about what kind of dollars are we putting in to make sure our roads are safe? Absolutely. And this year has really been a highlight on transportation infrastructure in Manitoba. So we're really looking forward to hearing from Manitobans in this year's Worst Roads campaign. Heather, when we look at the perimeter in particular, the provinces uh, moving to build that interchain at St. Mary's and the perimeter, they've closed off a bunch of different access points. Does functionality of the different roads in Manitoba come up in this survey? Are you getting feedback about that versus just the the general condition? I know a lot of times this just ends up being the, the road or highway with the worst potholes. Well, we do hear about potholes, that's for sure, uh, because we have we seem to have more than our fair share in the city. Uh, but we do hear about other issues, and we really want to hear from Manitobans about, you know, those design issues as well, because we're hearing debates now about what should the appropriate speed limit be. You can let us know through this campaign if you think the speed limit is too high or too low on a street as well. So any of that feedback, however you want to define the worst road, honestly, uh, we're happy to hear it. I think this is a great advocacy campaign every year. And in some cases, it does lead to genuine success stories. Can you give us a, a, an example or two of that? Sure. Well, St. James, uh, certainly in Winnipeg, appeared uh, on the list every year, I think, except for two years. And we saw great repair work on it. And uh, the one that we're really happy about is Empress, which topped the list at least a couple of years. It still shows up on the list every once in a while because there's still a couple little stretches that need work. But uh, we heard from the province and the city that they were glad to see this come off the worst roads list because it was uh, at the top for so long. You know, we often just talk about just the the drive itself and whether or not it's enjoyable based on how well paved the road might be, Heather, or, you know, whether it does have those bumps or twists and turns and all the rest. But at the end of the day, too, it, it really impacts our cars, the maintenance of the vehicles, if you're hitting too many bumps, if you're having to change speeds up and down a bunch of times. And, and then there's the fuel economy question. And so many people are talking about gas prices these days. Is there a connection between a bad road and uh, the bottom line for a driver? Absolutely, there is. We uh, we commissioned a study that we released last year that looked at what are the costs of poor roads on Manitobans, and we found that it adds about $102 a year in your operating costs, and that is through reduced fuel efficiency and that wear and tear. And there is this uh, concept called pavement vehicle interaction, which is very um engineering wordy but um it looks at things like the drag on fuel efficiency and driver fatigue if you're being rattled around in your car that also uh plays a toll but it it is something that we really need to think about as we're looking at these high fuel prices that this is one way where you can improve fuel economy by trying to avoid potholes which very difficult this time of year in winnipeg 
Heather, I want to share with you quickly before we let you go here. One idea from one of our listeners with regards to the perimeter uh, closed several times this winter, as we've mentioned already in this interview and conversation. But Joanna says, why don't we have some signs or lights on the perimeter to notify drivers that the highway has been closed? Maybe some flashing red lights at each on-ramp or signage on the overpasses. Driving home yesterday, I couldn't believe the number of vehicles driving on the perimeter after it was closed. You see these digital signs all over freeways in the United States and Toronto. Uh, is this something that, that you, you might be willing to advocate for or at least investigate the practicality of? Absolutely. I think that's a fantastic idea. And I've seen them for sure in other cities. And any kind of driver feedback and just that advance warning, I think, would do wonders. So, you know what, that's a great suggestion. And I'll take that back to our team. Heather, where do we go if we want to weigh in on the worst roads? Go to caaworstroads.com and nominate your worst road and feel free to upload a photo if you have something. Uh, We're always amused by the submissions we get every year. (laughs) Heather Mack joining us live on 680 CJOB, Manager of Government and Community Relations for CAA Manitoba. Heather, thank you very much. Thank you. Top five worst roads last year in Manitoba, by the way. Taylor Avenue in Winnipeg came in at number one, followed by four uh, roads outside of Winnipeg, Provincial Road 307, Provincial Road 250, Provincial Road 450, and Trunk Highway number 34. That was your worst five of 2021. We're asking you at 204-780-6868. You ever been surprised to learn a thing is a thing? Because 28 years ago yesterday, Loren, what song came out that you didn't know? I don't know. I still don't know it. <laughs> you, like, I told you I didn't know the song, and now you're asking me what the song was? All right. <laughs> Something by Coolio. Fantastic. <laughs> That was good. Fantastic Voyage is the song. <laughs> and uh, Jeff Forte in Master Control, what's the thing that caught you off guard? Well, actually, today I learned about Shelter Belt. <laughs> I, I didn't know what Shelter Belt was, and then you guys said it, and I looked it up, and I was like, oh, wait, that totally makes sense. We've talked about Shelter Belts on this well, show before, Well, obviously, I don't pay Jeffrey. attention. <laughs> <laughs> I'm insulted. I've, like, I've made it my mission. Like, in addition to the zipper merge, shelter belt's really high on my list of things to talk about, man. Do I have to write a song about shelter belts yeah, now, too? I think you do. All right. But when I was in my early 20s, uh, my buddy picks me up. It's winter, and his windshield is fogging up. And I'm going, dude, like, why don't you turn on your windshield defroster? And he goes, my what? Like, your windshield defroster. Like, point at uh, his climate controls. And I was like, this. And I turn it, and he's like, no, that, that, that makes my windshield really foggy. And I was like, just give it a few seconds it does it clears up and he goes oh man that's so cool oh my god so he's been driving around for like five or six years not knowing to put on his windshield defroster he's a menace to society absolutely wow what was he doing did you make a citizen's arrest on the spot i should have i really should have i should have taken his license away I can't believe that. Oh, my God. We had somebody weigh in this morning saying we should have mandatory retesting every five years during the winter. It sounds like your buddy might fall into that.
Winnipeg Jets were staring down the prospect of a three out of a possible eight points four game homestand heading into last night's game versus the two time defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. Instead of blinking, they come out of the right side of a 7 4 score. Yeah, but there was moments there where people would wonder if that's the way it was going to go. They had a 3 1 first period lead, and then at the midway through the third, they were deadlocked. Uh, at, sorry, they were deadlocked at three after the first period. So there was a scoreless second period, and then a four goal third propelled the Jets to their 15th home win of the season. The Jets are now seven points, seven points behind Dallas Stars for the final playoff spot in the West. Veteran hockey insider and veteran broadcaster John Shannon, a big part of our Jets coverage team, joins us now to take a peek at what's ahead for the Jets. Good morning, John. Morning, folks. A couple of weeks ago, the Jets had that big home game. It was on the Louis Riel uh, weekend here in, in Manitoba. When the Oilers came to town, the Jets had lost to Chicago. Then they won a couple games back-to-back. And maybe some people were feeling good about what the Jets were doing. And one of our listeners said, hey, Mackling, the Jets are like Charlie Brown and Lucy. Lucy sets the ball up and then yanks it away from Charlie Brown just as, a, as he's about to kick it. Are we a little any closer to Charlie Brown being able to kick the ball if the, if the Jets are, in fact, Charlie Brown after this 5 of 8 homestand? You, uh, ask me after the Devils game. It may be back in the air, Greg. You know, because cause, cause they, I, I, that, that's a really good analogy. I was going to say Jekyll and Hyde, but I'm an older guy. Uh, they, this team uh, would flummox the best of us. When you think that they're on the verge of collapse, they come back and play a great game. And when you think that, oh, man, this team with all the great names and the way they can play the game and the high speed they use, they they're, they could be on a roll, then, you know, they they are flat as a pancake. It's, it's, it's one of the great mysteries in the NHL right now is why can't the Winnipeg Jets string some victories together. Last night uh, was as good an example as, as, as anything when you think that, uh, if you remember, last week it was 4 nothing against Montreal before it was 4-4 halfway through the second. Last night, 3-1 uh, against Tampa, uh, and then the 3-3, and then you said, oh, man, the Stanley Cup champions are coming back. They can score at will. And all of a sudden, Winnipeg regains itself and does an amazing job. And it was the big names that did it. You know, it, it was Shifley. It was Dubois. Uh, it was Morrissey. It was Connor. Uh, that's what this team can do. And that's why this team is so frustrating to watch at times. So Greg has done some of the math, John, on, on what they've done in the past few weeks and also where what they need to do if they want to make the playoffs. They need to collect six of every eight points available versus five of eight on the homestand to land on 97 points. With the group that you just described and everything, that the ups and downs, will they even get a chance to take a run at this, uh, some might say, unlikely scenario? Uh, they can. This is a team that can do it. Uh, there, there's two things. They have to take advantage of these teams lower than them in the standings, like they will face a couple on this road trip. But then they've got, you know, when, when you and you think about they've got Vegas coming up twice, uh, th- they cannot take the foot off the pedal. They just can't. And, and that's been the frustration. Uh, and, and that means certain guys have to play at, a, at an elite level every night, including Connor Hellebuck, who, let's face it, has been probably the most worked goaltender in the National Hockey League uh, in the last two months. 
and I don't see that changing. So this is one of those ones where you look at it and say, well, sure, they can do it. And they have the capability of doing it. Um, but can they, that level of consistency, that level of, uh, of intensity, that's something that has not existed with this hockey team. And, and quite frankly, that was, I think, one of the reasons that Paul Maurice stepped away before Christmas was because he couldn't get them to be at that level on a consistent basis. Veteran hockey insider and veteran broadcaster John Shannon, part of our Jets coverage team, joining us live for Jets Wednesday. John, thank you. Pleasure as always. Guy, you made me feel old. Holy smokes, veteran. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> hey man, you said Jekyll and Hyde earlier, so. I didn't know what a wood stove was, okay? <laughs> what more needs to be done to better serve some of Winnipeg's most vulnerable? That's one of the questions we'll be asking today as we talk about the homelessness situation in our city and province. And so, of course, I think we all know there are all sorts of issues that might play into someone's journey in or out of homelessness. There's poverty, mental health, substance abuse. Later today, members of the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service are expected to speak at City Hall Protection Committee to highlight what they're seeing when it comes to drug use on the streets of Winnipeg. And our next guest has really dedicated her life to trying to help people connect with mental health, housing, and substance abuse support services. And so we welcome back to the start, Marion Willis, founder of St. Boniface Street Links. Good morning, Marion. Good morning. We talked to you often throughout the meth crisis of a few years ago, Marion. I'm, I'm curious, what are your clients telling you now when it comes to the drugs that are out there and the drugs that are really present on our streets? Yeah, so drug use out there these days tends to be, I would describe it, our users more as polysubstance users, meaning that it's not any more specifically uh, crystal meth or, you know, that most people are using fentanyl or uh, down, which is a mix of fentanyl, heroin and other things. Um, It really is now uh, people just using everything. Um, Meth is mixed in with uh, with down, um, uh, there's um, hydromorph out there. People are just using absolutely everything. So how does that uh, play into the homeless situation or the unsheltered situation, Marion? And I know there are people, I am included in this. I have, uh, you know, uh, educated myself uh, to a great extent on what comes into this, but I also am on the other side where I get frustrated when I see bus shelters uh, that have been taken over uh, by people because maybe there isn't another option for them. How do, how do we square all that and, and talk about how substance abuse uh, leads to, to homelessness? Yeah, I think one of the unfortunate challenges in the city is that we've somehow defined homelessness and the way we've categorized all homeless people into one group and we've taken sort of one rights-based approach and just sort of wiped that across everybody who lives out there homeless and struggling with addiction, and that's the wrong approach to take. Um, In fact, you know, uh, we actually... Uh, we need to we need to start taking some steps as a city and a province to remove the unintentional barriers that are created to actually get 
uh, people the help that they need. Uh, Many of the people that are living homeless are not people who have been chronically homeless. There are people that have spiraled into homelessness because of addiction um, and and an addiction that they just simply cannot uh, access help for. And I know how frustrating it is for those individuals. I feel the same frustrations as a serving organization um, that literally has to turn bedrooms at Moorburg House into detox uh, rooms because we can't get people into the RAM clinics. And if you can't get a person through RAM and the person is an opioid user, then you can't get the person into detox because detox requires clearance by RAM. Um, And if you can't get people into detox, then you can't get people into treatment. And then the treatment programs that exist other than Warburg House, which is innovative and successful, is a 28-day AFM program, which really means nothing to a drug addict. Um, You know, we, we send people to detox and treatment, and we're just adding numbers. We're doing math. We're just trying to get as many, you know, stable clean days as we can before the person steps down into long-term recovery. You know, the solution really is, it has to, I keep saying this, it does have to be organizations like ours that feed the strategy to address all of this. We need to understand that um, homelessness, um, uh, we can't treat all homelessness in, in the same manner. Um, and um, we need to to build the services. I mean, if you look at this city and the challenges we have in a city of 800,000 people um, and the challenges we have, we don't even have a 24-7 access point for detox. Mary, we have just over a minute, we, but before we let you go, we just want to ask you about the pandemic because we've been saying for a couple of years, pandemic really made the homelessness issue more visible. Uh, for example, with fewer places to go, we saw more camps, more people in bus shelters. So it as changed the, the entire face of homelessness. Indeed. So as, as, as the threat of COVID hopefully subsides, do you think we're still going to continue to see those camps? We're going to continue to see encampments. We don't have anything on this side of the river because we actually provided the services, housed every single person, and we continue to serve the people. And that's the model you have to employ, by the way. Uh, But there'll still be the migration of people over to the side of the river where it's uh, safer and easier to live over here and where you can actually get the services. You know, we have to change what we're doing. Homelessness now is spread out through every neighbourhood in the city. We can no longer just centralise services in one area. We need to do a better job of understanding homelessness, addiction, poor mental health, the increased rates of crime in the city, uh, including sometimes homicide. We need to understand that uh, not for everybody, but for segments of this population, all of those things are interrelated, and we need a strategy to address. You know, if we could actually implement the all the recommendations coming out of the uh, Illicit Drug Task Force report, which was a really, really well done, the city would see immediate change. We need to get to doing those things. Marion Willis, founder of St. Boniface Street Links, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Marion, thank you for this. You're welcome. I want to read a text message here because we're about to talk about the price of gas and oil. And this listener, I'm going to leave this person's name out, uh, but this listener says, for some perspective, to fill my RAM 
with diesel at 130 liters at today's price, $271. That's at $1.739. Or no, that's sorry, yeah, the diesel is $2099. And uh, this listener says, I had to get my superpass limit increased because it allows 200 liters a day to a maximum dollar amount of $250 per day. So uh, look, as Winnipeg gas prices seem to have settled in the $1.739 neighborhood for regular fuel, more increases are possible, if not likely. Yeah, so sometimes there aren't obvious reasons or villains in the gas pricing game. I'm just interacting with one of our listeners right now who sort of insists that every time we have this discussion, the answers to the questions, why is gasoline going up, are the same. This time around, maybe it's a little different, and I think it is. Roger McKnight, Chief Petroleum Analyst at NPRO International, has become our go-to for gas prices on the starts. Good morning, Roger. Good morning to you all. I know you're speaking to media right across the country right now. Canadians all have that same question. Who do we blame for record prices at the pumps? Is it Vladimir Putin? Uh, Before the uh, Ukraine-Russia situation, we were in a tight squeeze in in supply-demand teeter-totter's concern. We were way out of of totter. We had very, very high, uh, tight uh, supply situation insofar as uh, crude is concerned in the United States. And we had demand for gasoline going right through the roof. So, and then we have uh, this is the period of refinery turnaround time when they start to get ready for the uh, summer driving season. So that was all before the I won't call it a war. I'll call it the invasion uh, of, of Ukraine, and that's sort of tilted everything even further because now the U.S. has cut off. Uh, crude oil imports as, uh, from Russia, as Canada did a couple of weeks ago. So everything's out of whack. Well, let's talk about that cutoff. As you mentioned, the United States just said yesterday it's not going to purchase Russian oil any longer. Trudeau made that announcement, I think it was last week. So if we turn to Canadian production, if every drop of oil used in Canada was extracted and then refined and processed here, would it change at all, Roger, the cost of the product for Canadians? Uh, not really, because uh, uh, prices in Canada aren't made in Canada. The border doesn't exist. It really follows whatever happens with the uh, with the uh, with the U.S. wholesale prices. Uh, prices on the prairies follow the daily changes in Minneapolis, and those changes really follow whatever happens right now in Western Canada. It follows the price of crude, and crude is going uh, going berserk. Uh, going heading towards a dollar 150 if uh, if I got my guesses right. So things are looking pretty pretty dark and and dank right now. So would it matter then if we made a move to increase domestic production? We can't really. What are you going to do with it? Uh, you can't. I don't think you can. Ex- uh, the energy east was out of the question because Quebec didn't want it. Uh, Northern Gateway was canned by the Trudeau government. We're having trouble getting the uh, the, the Trans Mountain going. It's it's uh, stuck in environmental mud, and uh, President Biden is now coming hat in hand, saying, oh, "Well, maybe we could if we could get more from Canada," but he shut down the the uh, the XL. So, uh, uh, not much forethought in that regard. Okay, so uh, several villains then uh, wearing black hats in this discussion. What about taxes here and, and the role yeah. that it plays in the price of gasoline? We, we, we can't forget about that part of it, can we, Roger? No, no, no. That was, my, that was going to be my next comment is uh, the, the only people I never get, hear any squawking from are the federal and provincial governments when prices go up is because the HST is a percentage. It's not a fixed rate. So the higher all the other ones go up, 
higher the price goes up, the more the the HST goes up, the more it goes into general revenue. So one one way to do that, uh, the first line we've got the carbon taxes that's going up on 2.2 cents a liter on April the first. I may suggest, uh, Mr. Trudeau, you you enacted that carbon tax with a stroke of the pen. I would ask if you've got an eraser at the end of that pen and start cutting back on that. And the federal and provincial governments could also look at taxes as well. The consumer is is the is the scapegoat here. No one paying everybody's bills, and it's the and the one way around it is to start looking at taxes. Uh, cutting them or stalling them or whatever. I think President Biden's going to have almost a tax-free month to get things, uh, get the consumer's confidence back. On the flip side of that, Roger, you know, you you could make some changes. I know we get tax every day from people on that carbon tax saying, why not reverse it or put it on hold for now? But but there's never a good time to add something like that to the equation. No one's going to ever applaud, fully applaud that move when gas prices are high. They might only accept it when gas prices are low, but that's always going to be a a conversation and you can't win in some fronts yeah if you if you start cutting the, the uh, stopping or cutting the carbon tax or, or whatever uh, it's it's going to come back it's easy to, to uh, uh, take things away and it's even harder uh, to put things back so you, you're just we're just delaying the inevitable insofar as the carbon tax is going it seems like a something will we'll, we'll, that the federal government will just not let go away Roger McKnight, Chief Petroleum Analyst at NPRO International, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Roger, thank you very much for this. We appreciate it, sir. You're very welcome. Take care now. The Canadian housing market has been hot as a pistol for months now. Winnipeg is seeing a record high average sale price on a regular basis since the pandemic began. And bidding wars for homes have once again become an incredibly con- common sight. And, and in fact, somebody in our circle has put an offer, and I double-checked this with Jackie this morning, has put an offer on 22, and it might have been 23 as of last night, separate properties over the past several months, only to be outbid each and every Time And it has me asking, Loren, why would you even enter the market right now? So why we thought we'd bring on our next guest, realtor, Tracy Mainland Cramble. Good morning, Tracy. Good morning. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm good, but I am thinking like, Greg, if you don't have to move, if it's not a thing where you know you're moving for your job or moving to a different community, I, I wouldn't be looking at a house right now. So what is driving people? Well, I think everyone's personal circumstances really drive the the desire to move. Some people, you know, with pandemic and with COVID, there's been, you know, some separations in marriage. There's new uh, younger people entering the market. There is a number of reasons why people move. And really, I think their personal circumstances dictates why and when they want to move. Um, some people just want a good start on life. Some people are, are just ready to make that next step and they want to have a home. And a lot of people are actually scared that it's actually going to get higher than it is right now. So the sooner they buy, the more chances they have of, of getting that equity in their house as they build time over, over their property. And let's be honest, for over a decade now, and I've been in the real estate market in Winnipeg since 2004, and I can remember being at an investment seminar where 90% of the people in the room that had paid money to be there for the weekend believed Winnipeg Mm -hmm. was at the top of the crest of the S-graph when we were really just seeing the beginning of increasing prices 16, 17, 18 years ago. So Tracy, for a long time, people have been saying this is the top. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you've been hearing that for years. It's, it's very common to say, okay, it can't get much higher than this. It will get much higher than this. Um, you know, property is one of those things that always continues to grow. Rarely does property decrease in value. And over time, you know, next year there might be a little bit of a flux. But over time, your property is almost guaranteed to grow in value. Okay, I asked you about this yesterday, and one of the reasons I reached out to you, we were discussing this on text message, uh, I think it was on Tuesday morning, Tracy, record gas prices aren't going anywhere soon. Some of the fastest growing communities in Canada are essentially bedroom communities of Winnipeg. We also know cottages have been a hot commodity throughout the pandemic. So here's the question, with all that preamble, could gas prices affect the attractiveness of properties outside the city? I'm kind of torn on that because I think that when it comes to recreational properties like cottages, um, those type of properties, perhaps maybe. But I think people look at gas um, the way they used to look at old property values. For example, we know that gas prices are on the rise right now. Is it going to stay that way? Probably not. Usually gas prices tend to go down again over time. So I think that a lot of people will say, oh, this too shall pass. It's just a matter of when. Um, Will they stay long term? That's, you know, debatable. But when it comes to bedroom communities, I think that people choose those communities because it's a lifestyle that they want for their families or for themselves. Um, Places like Oak Bank, LaSalle, um, Headingley, uh, just, you know, 20 to 30 minute commutes to Winnipeg, I think are very common and people enjoy living there. It's a family and it's a lifestyle they want for themselves. So will they look for a different car to be more economical for that commute? Possibly. Um, Will they look at not going to those communities because of gas prices? Probably not. They're still very attractive communities. Our guest is realtor Tracy Mainland-Cramble. And Tracy, the Perimeter Highway closed again yesterday. Big crash closed McGilvery Boulevard for hours. You specialize in acreages and homes in Selkirk, East St. Paul, Birds Hill, West St. Paul, and St. Andrews. Does the lack of a four-lane highway or other infrastructure come up when people are considering a home in places like, say, Oak Bluff, LaSalle, or Oak Bank, Dougald areas as examples? Yeah, absolutely. Like the commute is always that hard part is how do you get to work fast and in a safe way? Yesterday was a prime example of what can happen when there isn't that safe commute or that that transport area. So does it come up? Yes. Is it a hindrance to people moving? No. Um, People still, again, want that lifestyle for themselves. So I think that they choose the community based on when they get home, what's life going to be like for them, and they'll figure out how to get there. So would they prefer to have a four-lane highway in an easy way? Absolutely. Would it make those communities grow even more? 100%. Before we let you go, Tracy, you know, at the top, Greg mentioned that, uh, someone in his, in his uh, friend's circle with the 22 bids and being outbid every time. How common is that right now? I mean, how many bid- bidders are you having at a, on a home? And, and how often does it go for over-ask? You know, I would say that almost every home right now is getting into multiple bidding wars if it's priced right and in that sweet spot of you know with 175,000 to even up to 400,000 now um, you're almost guaranteed if it's in one of those popular areas you're almost guaranteed to be in a bidding war Um, you'll see the odd house here and there that isn't in a bidding war but usually there's other circumstances with that so unfortunately um, you know, some of the common conversations that I'm having with clients is, well, should we be looking at a house 50000 less than what we can afford just so that we can afford to get that house? Um, so there, people are re-looking at the price points that they're starting at, 
which is really unfortunate that it's happening that way. But it all is driving down from a lack of inventory. I, I ran some numbers last night and, and just looking at listings from January to February um, compared to even last year. Uh, we're down 532 listings from last year, just in January and February of this year. So inventory is really driving that that drive for property. Um, the fact that there isn't a lot of inventory out there still, and especially in those prime areas that people want. Um, some of those areas are really going crazy. I was also looking at some of the the list prices, like the, the list price versus the actual sale price yesterday. And almost in every um, those those hotbed communities, almost every single one of them is going above list price. And it's the realtors are even baffled sometimes is what's happening. They think they've priced it correctly. They you know everything looks right based on the market comps, and then it gets crazy with the bidding wars. So it's it's really unpredictable market right now as to what a house will sell for. You answered my question there because, uh, Tracy, as we speak, I'm getting a text message from a buddy of mine who says he, they price it to create a, a price war. Uh, he, he's he's convinced of it. I don't think so. I, You know, honestly, like I've had a couple of listings in this year and, and I've priced them based on market comps. I actually stretched it a bit. And in both cases, both of them went well over list and they were market comparable listing prices. Realtor so Tracy. I, I, would, I would disagree with that. Yeah. Tracy Mainland Cramble, Realtor, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. We're asking you about things you didn't know were a thing. Like uh, Loren learned yesterday for the first time. That's the first time she had ever heard the song Fantastic Voyage by Coolio, even though it came out 28 years ago and was a big hit. She wonders if it even made its way outside the perimeter highway. And uh, Greg Mackling, what did Michelle have to say? When a friend of mine said he was going fly fishing, I thought he meant that he was fishing from a low-flying helicopter. (laughs) I had no idea they weren't in the air fishing. And I always thought that they were trying to catch flies. Fly fishing. That's what you thought? That's what I thought when I first heard of it when I moved to B.C., Uh, no, no, that's not it at all. Oh, boy. Loren David out of Q1. Yeah, David S. says, When I became a parent, the learning curve was huge, but it never really stops. I am learning as my son learns. And an example of this is when you realize all the things you do so naturally at one point in your life, it was not natural. And someone took the time to teach you. I had no idea the simple act of blowing your nose can take months to learn. The amount of times I watch my son hold the Kleenex to his nose and blow out his mouth is astonishing. Oh, that's so cute and so true. Yep. Jeff had a fun one last fall. I had to go and pick up something from the grocery store. I pull into the parking lot, get out of my truck. I see this lady standing beside her car. I ask her if everything's okay. She says, no, waiting for CAA because she's locked out of the car. I see she's holding her keys. And I say, do you have the wrong keys? Like, did you lock your keys in the car? And she then says, no, these are the keys, but the button to open the door isn't working. I think the battery's dead, so they're coming with a new battery. So I say, can I try? She gives me your keys, so I just put the key in the door and open the door. And she looks at me and says, holy crap, I never knew you could do that. Mm -hmm. I just shook my head, smiled, and walked away. That's a perfect example of how reliant we've become on... Uh, shortcuts. You know, like we talked about this before, phone numbers. Still know my, my buddy Steve. I could still call his parents in East St. Paul if I wanted to, but I <laughs> I don't know your phone number by heart, Greg. So uh, I don't know yours either. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know if that uh, actually helped uh, that person start their car because I've been in that situation. I could get in, but 
can't start it because the battery's dead. I want to know more about this story from Jeff. Well, if it has a key on it, would then... If it's a key, yeah. Like, if they're talking a key. There's an ignition key then. Yeah. Okay, well, there, there's a, see, there's a hidden key in my key fob so that I can get into my car, but I have a push-button start. So it'll help me get in the car, but I, there's no place for me to put that key to start it. Oh. Why would they create a car that has a key where you have a like lock that you can use, but not a? I just so you can get all the rain. I don't know. Oh. This doesn't make any sense. We're gonna we're gonna jump to the winner, <laughs> Loren. Amanda's uh, taking it home. All right, Amanda says I'm embarrassed to admit this, and my family will never let me live it down. But for years, I thought a wood stove was a stove built of wood. The way I figured that out was my boyfriend and I were watching the news and it mentioned a house burnt down and the cause of the fire was a wood stove. And so I said to him, well, what did they expect? He's looking at me puzzled and I said, well, why would you build a wood stove? As soon as you turn the oven on, it will burn. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda, oh. congratulations. Love the honesty. Oh, you know, we got to sneak in Bobby's here, Greg, because Bobby's our runner up. My sister used to pull into the weigh scales on the highway because it says all trucks must report. She drove a little two-door Jeep. Pretty sure the guy at the scale had a crush on her as he never told her. And she pulled in every day on her way to work until she did it with me and I let her know she still hears about this. (laughs) Congrats, Amanda. Congrats, Bobby. The United Nations estimates that over two million Ukrainians have fled their now war-torn country. As Poland, Germany, Hungary, Moldova, and other European countries do their best to welcome mostly Ukrainian women and children, there are increasing calls for Canada to step up and reduce the red tape still in place, which may be slowing down the process for Ukrainians wanting to come to Canada. So yesterday, there was a group of organizations, including the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce, the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce, Economic Development Winnipeg, and the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, Manitoba Provincial Council, that sent a letter, and they all co-signed it, to Manitoba Premier Hather Stephenson. And in this letter, to the Premier says in part, on behalf of our respective organizations, we are writing to express our desire to work with the Manitoba government, as well as community partners and business leaders, to welcome Ukrainians seeking refuge in our province. Spokesperson Nick Kravitz joins us now on The Star. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. So what's the ask here? What are you looking for? Well, I think we are trying to demonstrate our solidarity and build a broad coalition of support for Ukrainians that have been forced to flee their homes due to Russia's brutal invasion and war against their country. A lot of these people, as you mentioned in your in your preamble, two million people have already fled women, children, and seniors. They're looking for a safe refuge in Canada on a temporary or permanent basis. So the letter that was pinned yesterday is really sort of um, an indication to the province that we are prepared to work together with the province to ensure any of these individuals that come to Manitoba are welcomed and they're provided with opportunities during these uh, just horrific times. And we believe that Manitoba is uniquely positioned to welcome Ukrainians seeking refuge since our province has the largest proportion of Ukrainian-Canadian residents in Canada. I think that's uh, more than a reasonable request and and makes sense. This has changed so quickly, Nick. I don't know when we were at the... You know, at the Manitoba legislature, at least a couple Saturdays ago, that we we imagined that that this might be a, a long term or a permanent thing 
for Ukrainians to flee Ukraine, Ukraine mm-hmm. and come to Manitoba, that it might be more of a temporary thing. And the longer this goes, the more permanent it's likely to become, fair to say? Well, it's it's certainly, you know, the situation on the ground is changing by the minute. Um, you know, the, the attacks are intensifying. There's Ukrainian cities being absolutely obliterated right now by Russian airstrikes. It's very hard to tell, you know, how long this will go on for and how many people will be, uh, you know, seeking refuge abroad, either in Europe or potentially here in Canada. And, um, you know, but here in Manitoba, we were actually sort of in a unique position because of our large diaspora due to our large organized community here. But even in terms of the Manitoba economy, you know, Many of these individuals that are potentially fleeing or will be fleeing and potentially coming here, you know, some of these individuals could help fill existing labor gaps and shortages in various sectors essential to our economy. Uh, Ukrainians are very uh, highly educated and one of actually the most educated societies in the world. So a lot of these people are specialized in information, communications, technology, agribusiness, advanced manufacturing, aerospace, transportation, distribution. These are all key industries here in Manitoba. So just based on sort of the economic kind of dynamics and pull factors, you know, Manitoba is really uh, in a position to lead um, attracting Manitobans uh, sorry, attracting Ukrainians to Manitoba. And that's really what we want to do with these organizations like the Chambers, like Economic Development Winnipeg, build this partnership, build this coalition to support these people that may come here. Our guest is Nick Kravetz with the Ukrainian-Canadian Conquerors Manitoba Provincial Council. And Nick, uh, we've heard from our leaders like the Premier, like Mayor Brian Bowman, saying that uh, we'll be, we will be ready. But are we prepared to welcome refugees like right now? Well, at the moment, the the expedited pathways to Canada announced by the federal government are not yet operational. They were announced last week. Uh, However, there's no details yet of what documents will be required, what the eligibility criteria will be, and we are expecting that to be announced uh, probably next week sometime. So once those applic- uh, those streams become open for applications, uh, we will get a better sense of how many numbers and so forth, sort of there also the associated timelines of the pe- people who are potentially arriving here. But once these streams do get open, the government still has to process the applications, you know, go through the uh, the information and ultimately decide whether to approve uh, the application or not. So it's it's not like these people are going to be arriving tomorrow, per se, but uh, there is an anticipated influx of Ukrainians probably within the coming weeks and months. And uh, what that what we're saying is that, you know, we're hoping that we can this coalition that we're building can will work with the provincial government and urge them to take swift action to not only support their settlement but also make connections with local businesses eager to attract and employ these people when they do ultimately arrive here. You know, Nick, when we were first t- talking about this invasion two weeks ago, you know, I had wondered at the beginning as people were trying to get out of Ukraine how much they were hoping that they'd get back, you know, that, that it would be a couple of days or maybe a couple of weeks that they would be able to go home. And I'm curious what you're hearing now, either with your conversations with friends or family you might have back there or the community that you know has friends yeah. and family back there, what they're thinking about the long-term return plan because – now that you see the images and you see what's going on there, you know, it's not just targeted strikes on military uh, yeah. 
targets there's homes and apartment buildings and schools and hospitals so many things being hit and they might be thinking there won't be a home to return to so what are you hearing from those back in ukraine well in our discussions with our family who have been directly impacted by this they they were forced to flee their home near kiev by the main international airport they're in the western part of ukraine right now but they are determined to stay and they they just want to go home really and they want to rebuild they want peace and they just want to go on living their lives like they were um so there's a sense of you know determination uh, to help Ukraine rebuild it, uh, get it back on its feet when the, when this nightmare ends. But at the moment, the situation with the airstrikes and literally destroying residential neighborhoods, and you know, it's absolutely horrendous. Uh, all males 18 to 60 are not allowed to leave the country. So the people that have fled today are primarily women, children, and seniors. So that's sort of a different dynamic uh, compared to other displacements in other parts of the world and also those coming here uh, through other you know, various streams and programs. But the vast majority of these people that may be coming here, I would say, would be seeking a temporary refuge. Uh, when the war ends, when the airstrikes stop, when the Russian troops and tanks turn around and go back to Russia – these people will return to Ukraine and will be determined to rebuild it and get it back on its feet. Nick, how many people can you imagine Manitoba could handle in short order or longer term if required? Have you have you contemplated all this? Um, well, we've taken preliminary steps. The Ukrainian Canadian Congress here in Manitoba actually uh, initiated a sort of a registration form. Within 24 to 48 hours, 700 Manitobans put their names forward to house people on a temporary or more permanent basis. This is an absolutely tremendous uh, sign of support and solidarity with the Ukrainian people. And this program was actually temporarily paused because of the outpouring of support from Manitobans across the province. Um, but given the, the, the expedited pathways are not yet operational, we're, we are sort of temporarily in a holding pattern to determine you know, how many numbers are going to be being going through the system, how many will actually be coming to Canada, how many will be potentially coming to Manitoba. So we that program or registration portal may become open again. And it is just depends on the situation on the ground and the timing. And uh, once we know more, when the federal government sort of decides to act and communicate what the criteria and document requirements will be for these people. What would temporary refuge look like? Nick, in your mind, you know, you mentioned that there will be people who want to go back. So they might come here for a few months. Maybe it's a year. Maybe it's weeks. How would we accommodate that? Like, what's the suggestion? Is it people opening their homes for a couple of months to families? You know, what's the options? There are two streams that have been announced. And one of them is for a temporary uh, sort of permanent or temporary residence. And these people will be allowed to stay for up to uh, two years. And they will be able to work and study and so forth. So supporting that, you know, facilitating and connecting them with employment opportunities and potential employers are just so vital because, you know, these people will be supporting their families who have not been able to leave Ukraine and also support other family members who are not allowed to leave the country. So there's certainly a need uh, to support them uh, in any way we can as a community and also as a province. And that's really what the goal of this coalition is with the business groups uh, and so forth, to try to you know facilitate those connections and partnerships here in Manitoba to help these people. 
Nick, before we let you run here, just give us sort of an, an idea. I think based on what we've seen on TV and on social media, we have a greater appreciation for just what an advanced country Ukraine is in terms of technology, agriculture, just has so much in common with Manitoba overall in my mind. Just extol some of the virtues economically here for those that might need to be sold on this idea. Well, I, I would think I go, go back to my earlier point. You know, Ukrainians are amongst the most educated societies in the world. They are highly specialized and trained, and the skills that they have are very pertinent to Manitoba, given our the nature of of how our economy is sort of uh, aggregated and so forth. And really, these people could immediately be put to work. But, you know, there will be supports needed naturally for, you know, language training, maybe credential recognition. Hopefully that could be expedited. Uh, Support for families because of the nature of being women and children and that kind of thing being displaced. So, you know, I guess given our, our large and organized community here in Manitoba, we can certainly help. These people are have many family and, and friends here in Winnipeg and across the province that are willing to, you know, temporarily um, allow them to stay with them. It'll just give them a chance to breathe, really, when they've just been through this highly traumatic event, people traveling hundreds of kilometers through a war zone while missiles are landing on them. You know, that's going to have a psychological and mental impact for sure, particularly on children who have just, you know, experienced that. So the long-term effects of that, you know, remain to be seen naturally but i guess what we're saying as a community is that we want to help in every possible way we appreciate manitobans for stepping up showing their solidarity and we want to work with all manitobans to making sure that manitobans and uh, ukrainians that are coming to manitoba are welcomed and also other people who have fled situations as well around the world we are friendly manitoba that is our slogan and motto. We are proud of that. You know, we have a long history of and track record of welcoming newcomers because of our diversity and sense of solidarity. And this is primarily due to our successful partnerships and effective coordination with stakeholders, government agencies, and other organizations. So, you know, we are we are just overwhelmed by the support from fellow Manitobans, and uh, we definitely appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. Nick, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate this, sir. Thank you very much. Nick Kravetz joining us live, speaking on behalf of a group of organizations, including the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce, the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce, Economic Development Winnipeg, and the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, Manitoba Provincial Council, who all co-signed a letter addressed to Manitoba Premier Heather Stephenson. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.